Please pronounce your name correctly. Michael Rowland. Lovely. And Michael, where are you from? I'm from, I was born in Canada. I was uh, brought up in Ellesmere Port, near Liverpool, where my family are from. From the age of 14, 15, I was living in Lim, a village near, closer to Manchester. Say that again, the last... Lim, L-Y-M-M. L-Y. It's a lovely small village. Actually, it's a growing village. They're about to call it a town. Nice. So it's getting a traffic light. Yeah. I'm always interested, how do people become artists? So nature versus nurture kind of sort of interesting thing. Like, you know, do you come, what what did your parents do? Siblings? What kind of sort of household were you raised in? Yeah, my my father was a prison officer um, in in Liverpool and then uh, at Risley. And my mother started her life in work in work as a as a librarian so if anything the inspiration for becoming an artist came from literature and my mother because uh, there was no no artistic elements in the family at all one uncle who had this fantastic house uh, no kids um, a wife and he used to paint I used to go there uh, as a child and he used to have this uh, drawing board uh, he did cartoons and things like that it just seemed so romantic this beautiful cottage, and that's all he did as a living. And yeah, we all had this beautiful romantic idea of being yeah. an artist, but it doesn't really work that way, does it? Well, f- strangely enough, I feel like I'm living that kind of romantic life. Uh, so I would, I, I, not to disagree, but I, I think I'm, I'm at the moment really enjoying. Please disagree. Disagree all you want. I mean, the point of this podcast, the title is The Wise Fool. So, like, I don't know everything and I'm wrong about many things. So, feel free. Well, I think the key to really staying an artist is to enjoy it, to love what you're doing. I remember a friend of mine who was an illustrator saying that love was the key to doing great art and sticking with it. And I just thought that's a bit, I don't quite get that love is not really the answer. Is that the motivation? It's quite abstract to, to love a picture or a drawing. I get it now. It was a while ago he said that, and I get it. There's got to be an absolute, genuine, sincere love for what you do. Yeah, I like using the word passion for it. Like, yeah. Because that, to me, that inspires a an act. Like you're, you're, you're passionate about something. Like either. Love, yeah, I think the word love is overused these days. But uh. I kind of, but I think even the word, I think it's difficult to be passionate every morning or every day when you're painting. It's to feel to that love kind every of day drive. when you're painting, though. I mean, difficult to feel passionate for life every day, yeah. Indeed. But the love can be there. You can still feel tender about it. You know, you sort of, you could be a bit ruffled, but still love that kind of uh, the fear of the blank canvas and, and the worry that you don't have anything to say. And, Wait, I'm and, sorry, you love that? You love the fear? It's something that I would say I'm learning to love. Um, there's there's an artist who lives here, J- Jessica Saran, who does this... Um, she, she, she runs this course called uh, the Becoming Artist uh, Group. Have you heard of these I guys? I have heard of these people, yes. And uh, part of their ethos is about learning to get over the, the toxic demons on your shoulder who are telling you you're no good or telling the, the people better and you'll never make it and you're too old. Or, and 
I don't know. It's a, there's a lot of inspiration from from listening to her. She's a friend, so like we talk about this stuff, you know, just by the by. But it's a, it's an inspiration. It's it's to try and look at that negativity and and embrace it, and because everyone has it, and and I think that's a nice thing to learn when you start meeting more artists and meeting more people in the business. Even listening to the podcasts, you can hear that not everyone that you talk to knows what they're doing. And that is exactly the point of this podcast is mm -hmm. that everybody that I know in the arts industry, they know their thing, but they don't they're but they don't know everything else. Yeah. So like everybody has a specialization. They know their one thing very well, but they don't know all the other things. Uh -huh. And it's 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 when I moved to Europe, I re suddenly realized I sat down and I looked at the the arts community in Europe and I realized I have no idea how this community works. Right. At all. Uh -huh. I, every idea that I was taught in America and everything I learned with living in the Middle East is completely different here in Europe. Right. And I have no idea how it works. And what would you say is one of the main differences? Here in Prague, so far my experiences have been a very nationalist uh, regional. Mm -hmm. They have a, a strong interest in their own culture and their own um, method of expression. And the, they do not have as strong an interest in basically sort of outsiders or, or you know, non-Czech people coming in and participating, whatever you want to call that, exhibiting, etc. It's not as, they're not as interested as I had expected. Mm -hmm. I came here, you know, guns blazing, thinking like, hey, I'm this like great American artist coming to Europe, so I'm yeah. exotic, I'm from a foreign land, uh -huh. thinking everybody would be excited for me to be here. And no, they have no interest in me whatsoever. I've, of course, I've, no, I've noticed that that element in the in the Czech art scene. But I think what, one of the reasons seems to be, and I've, I've heard this quite often, is, is the, the money that's put into um, the, the galleries and, and the exhibitions. I don't think they've got the cash to bring in the artists they would, they, they would particularly like that were not Czech. So I don't know. Yeah, I've... I've, I've I've not struggled with it, but I've certainly considered it, and I, I don't feel I don't feel bitter about any of that. That the checks get the first dibs on on the galleries, you know. No, that's not what I'm uh, saying about it. It's, it's that um, it's not that they get first dibs. It's that they, quite honestly, they just aren't interested. Uh -huh. Now, maybe my work's not very good. Whatever, like <laughs> that's fine. I get that, but they're just. It is. Even, I've seen it. But they don't like even, it. Oh, thank you. But they don't even show an interest. Like I will submit my portfolio mm -hmm. and they just won't respond. I will mm. show up to the gallery. I will do all the normal traditional ways of sort of introducing yourself to a gallery. Show no interest. Won't respond to me at all. Like yeah. it's just nothing. And I don't know why. I don't. I'm doing everything that I was taught in America decades ago as the correct way to do these things. Sure. And it's not correct here. These are my own issues, you know. And and don't get me wrong, like. Doing this podcast has been very cathartic for me in some mm -hmm. way because I'm able to connect with other people who are in some way, in their own ways, as lost and and uh, grappling with their own right. set of issues. I mean, they're all different issues, but everybody's got something that they don't understand or don't know how to do well or, or, or want to succeed at that they haven't yet or whatever. So, yeah. My issue is, is that like I've been moving around a lot in my life. I've talked about this before. The, I've moved, I think, a total of 19 times in my adulthood. Uh -huh. And one of the things that has been to my detriment in the as being an artist is the lack of the ability to build a community. 
because right. I'm not staying in any one community. That's interesting because I think one one of the keys to maybe getting recognized here and, and developing the possibility of having a show is, is if you had a story or some kind of a community or, or a, um, if there was a link to the country, if you had an, a show about, you know, American artists or a particular theme or particular, th- uh, your own particular gang, um, that seems to be the way in with, with a story, not so much the individual who they've not heard of who says, I'd like to show here. Because I, I, I think I, I, that would be pretty much impossible that for anyone I know to just put hands up and, and say that. But yeah, I they, think that they're the, not the, interested. The foot in the door is probably ha- having having exactly what you said, the community, having a, a group of friends or, who are in, in the scene and, and trying to put on a group show with a theme. And then the theme would be more interesting than the individuals, possibly, hmm. who are in the in the show. It's not just a, a person sort of saying, "Please, please show my work. I want to be, I want to be seen," which is basically what we want. But which is basically it's not, what, what, not so easy. And this is something I've had conversations my whole life with other creative people. So not even just visual artists, all creative people. But we have set up lives for ourselves, which is basically we must beg. That that's our lives because. We whether we write a grant or write it for a residency or propose an exhibition or or you know approach a gallery or a curator. Basically, our entire lives are we have produced this thing that we think is really nice looking or or great concept or whatever, and we're basically begging other people to appreciate it. I'd say rather than begging, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll bat this one back at you too. I'm a little bit of a pessimist on certain th- things. Well, yeah, you, I guess this is either going to turn into an explosion of the unmovable object with the un- <laughs> unstoppable object, but because I'm, I'm a bit of an optimist, but I think recently I've also let let go of that idea that I'm begging because uh, certainly there's days or weeks when it feels like that. Indeed, um, I mean that. That's. Well, I mean, don't get me wrong. Yeah, I shouldn't say that, that. Like, we're always begging. Yeah. But in the end, like, we can sit in the studio, we can be producing, and we love the act of producing work. Yeah. But then when it's all done and you have it and you want to exhibit it or sell it or or whatever, then it becomes begging. I, I suppose so. And I, uh, what I've what I've recognized in the last couple of years is it, it's very much about who you approach, because um, there's the, the certainly people that. I've probably bumped into who, where there's just no chemistry, you know, there's, there's no actual, uh, this has been spoken about a bit on, on the podcast, the, the, the idea of having chemistry with the people that you're working with. And it works the other way around from the artist to the curator or the, or the gallerist or, or um, sometimes the collector, you know, I would say you really have to find the people that actually like you, you know, as, as, as a human being. Well, and this is a thing that comes up a lot. Like I do these reviews online through lensculture.com for photographers uh-huh. and they're constantly asking me, how do I find a gallery? How do I find collectors? How right. do I sell more works? And I always, the response I generally always give them is go to openings because mm-hmm. when people or go to events in general, participate in your arts community because that's how I met you. It, it like- is indeed actually. So, I mean, the, but the reason for that is because no matter how amazing your art is, no matter the object itself, when somebody buys it, they want to have a, a story behind it. They want to have a connection to it. They want to have a connection to it. So whether it's a, a collector or a gallerist or a curator, they want to feel like they've somehow engaged in it because when they they put their time and energy and money into your work, so let's say a gallery, let's mm-hmm. just we'll start work that way. 
when they put their time, energy, and money into it, they're investing in not just your work, but they're investing in you as a person. Yeah. And that's something that a lot of artists these days don't realize. Uh Like they still are under the traditional form of, I make beautiful things, I put beautiful things in a gallery space, and now they sell, and you don't need to see me. Right. Yeah, yeah. That's not true anymore. I mean, it really is. I mean, it's always... It's always been that way, but it seems like it's more now because social media and everything yeah, else like it's very much more, more visible on Instagram. Yeah, and I Facebook. mean, it's much more about the cult of personality and, and handshakes and being a good person and all this kind of stuff is very important to being able to sell art. And certainly in a small community like this, it seems like a small community, but you know, if you get to know one person, you get to know another, and, and pretty soon you know the whole gamut of the people that work in the business here in in. Prague so yeah it's it's you kind of I, I, I was I had an exhibition opportunity it was about th- two years ago and a friend of mine was invited along too and I remember thinking this is quite exciting it was just an old abandoned warehouse that some artists had taken over I it, love old abandoned warehouses it's beautiful and and they'd taken it over and they were just doing a, a pop-up show and she came along to meet uh, along with me the people who were running it and I was just excited because it was an opportunity to show some pictures. And when we left after we'd chatted with with the guy, she was like, yeah, I'm not sure. And I was totally surprised that she she would not just grab any opportunity. And I, I really respected that. I thought there's she's actually stepped back and thought, nah, this isn't for me. I don't quite see my pictures there. So it's about, I think, it's about choosing where you want to show something as well and, and being sort of in control. So there's not that beggary sort of a beggarly t- sort of way of looking at it. I, like three, three, four years ago, I'd shown paintings in cafe galleries and things like this. And I remember getting to the point where I'd decided, not, no, not anymore. It's, it's, it just, I know what it looks like when you see other people's works in a cafe. And, uh, but I didn't quite look at it that, that way myself because I was selling some things and thinking this is super. But I, I judge that. Even, it's, a, it's not nice, but you still look and think, well, not a proper artist. And there's that element, which is you, you have to say, okay, I'll, I'll draw the line there and I'll, I'll try and show my works here. And if that means two years of not showing anything, then so be it. You know. Yeah, and I'm pretty much in the middle of that right now because really? I got here and I started showing my work to some galleries and, and curators and they were like, yeah, you know, not responding, this kind of stuff. Yeah. And everybody I would talk to, I was like, I, I don't know where I can exhibit my work. And they're like, mm-hmm. oh, well, there are plenty of cafes. So many places, yeah. And I'm like, yeah, okay, I'm 45 years old. I have a pretty good CV. Mm-hmm. I think I make decent work. And my price point is probably higher than the general cafe, coffee shop kind sure. of exhibition. So I don't think that that fits me. I mean, as much as I know, when you move into a new community, oftentimes you do sort of have to start at the bottom again because you, you, nobody knows you and you have to reprove yourself in this new community. Mm-hmm. But there is a point, like when you're 45 years old and you got, you know, the, there is a certain bottom rung that I'm not willing to go to. Uh-huh. You know? Yeah, you have to have your standards. You have to, and and again, it's faith in yourself. It's like it's it's yeah, trusting that what you do is worth something. And and you know when you do get those marker moments when you get when you sell something for a decent price or or you get a, an exhibition that you wanted, it does give you a little uh, a little. I don't know, a little root to the strength that you, you feel you need to have to, to go into a studio and start messing around like a child. <laughs> you know, oh, sure, yeah. I, I mean, any, any sort of, I mean, 
the arts world is rife with negative feedback, you know, no's, you know, being denied for things, whatever, yeah. grants, residencies, exhibitions. So the few times that we do get those yes moments, you really have to hold on to those or else you're just going to be crushed yeah. emotionally. Yeah. And I'd, I'd learned something just not long ago as well as when those moments happen is like, don't get overexcited. You know, it's, it's like you need to carry on. You need to keep it going, keep the ball up in the air because, you know, you can't live off that for that long. I made the horrible mistake, which I have only come to realize was such a bad mistake early on in my career, which was my teachers taught me to be stoic, to be very, I'm proud of my work. Mm -hmm don't question my work right and uh and, and unfortunately i believe that that sort of ended up uh down the path of arrogance mm -hmm. and that has been horribly to my detriment at uh -huh. this point that, that i just realized in the past few years that i basically built up this horribly arrogant persona uh -huh. and i realized that, that i've just got to get rid of that because back to your point about relationships uh, nobody wants to be a friends with an arrogant bastard sure and I was that arrogant bastard. You don't seem so arrogant now. Well, that's because I'm, I'm I'm working through it. <laughs> I'm, I'm doing therapy here. This is my therapy kind of thing. Like, <laughs> but like, I made that mistake, and and you know, through this podcast, through hopefully people listening to this, like, please don't fall into the trap that being arrogant is the same as being self confident, because you can be confident in your work without being arrogant. Mm -hmm. I believe I make good work, but. It takes the right person to see it to, and the right person to appreciate it. So I cannot, none, no, none of us should be arrogant. Last night, we, I, I was at the Dernissage of Tzvi Tolkovsky. Um, it was beautiful. He, he gave a big talk. It was like maybe two hours about all of the paintings. It was incredible. I'm, I'm glad I missed it, actually. Then. <laughs> um, and it, it, there was one particular point which sort of I, I took home with me. And he was showing this, uh, it's like a marionette of a Jesus figure on his knees. It was part of the Stations of the Cross that he mm -hmm. put together. Uh, and he's, he's a Jewish artist doing this uh, Jesus figure. And, and so he, he, his connection to it was sort of slightly ironic, uh, quite sincere as well. And, and, and he was doing it for this particular uh, group of people who I, I don't think he knew that well. Uh, but he saw the reactions to this uh, figure, and he saw one person go up to this uh, this this sort of wooden, loosely put together marionette and put their hands together, and begin. They closed their eyes and they were weeping, praying and weeping. And he's looking at this. He he does quite uh, well. You saw the work. It's 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 lots yes. of collage and and it's sort of cartoony mayhem in it, but really sort of quite macabre it's almost a it has a sense of sort of almost outsider art totally of, like, absolutely um, but but he's not but he's not an outsider he he's formally trained and he even taught he, he he sort of like he reverted to that sort of in the later part of his career he reverted to this more raw kind he knows of exactly style what he's doing yeah. every very every in, intentional outsider <laughs> it, totally that's a good way of describing him but it was his genuine uh, sort of humble surprise that someone would react to an object that he'd just he'd put there, an object. And it was just the way he'd said this, and, and he'd stepped and looked at them and seen them uh, reacting. And, and I think that you can't predict, and that you can't be arrogant about. I'm going to create something that will make you cry. I'm going to create something that is better than everybody else. And you have to go in with that 
work attitude. I mean, the, the, the Andy Warhol's idea of, you know, just, just work. And that's all you can really do. And so to keep yourself getting into the studio, keep your ass in the studio, as, as, as Jessica would say, is, is the key. And that can only be done with love. And if there's any, you know, the, if there's any of that kind of bitterness or anger about the scene, it's just going to poison the activity. So you have to sort of, I'd say, separate yourself from from that while you're in the studio and, and maybe take the time out then after you've worked for a month, two months, take those weeks out and do the promotional work, do the do the schmoozing. And, and Yeah, well, I mean, that, that's an interesting point because uh, I've spoken to some other people and they, they said something like, be in the studio three days a week and, uh-huh. and then go out and do your public relations right. two days a week. Yeah. I can't work like that. Like uh-huh. I have to devote time and 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 sort of just work through it. So like like I need like three months in the studio, really, and yeah. then I and then once that that work is all done and that that all that creative whatever is out of me and down on the the paper, then I can go out and do three months of public relations. I think I I, I can relate to that. I feel similar because it's it's not so nice jumping from laptop to canvas well that and, and that's my point is like yeah. these days and this is sort of like this is what i keep talking about but like contemporary art market in the yeah. art world now is these days we have to keep jumping from idea to idea to thing to thing like we have to jump from our part-time job to our public relations to our doing our social media then we have to find time to then switch gears and go into being actually creative in the studio mm-hmm. and there's so many little tasks that we have to do that use different parts of our brain and different parts of our inspiration and different parts of our soul. <laughs> Absolutely. Like it, it feels like it's become much more difficult. Like your, your uncle, it was uncle. The painter. Yeah, it was an uncle. Yeah. The- yeah. Your uncle, he could just sit there and paint all day. They didn't have yeah. cell phones. They didn't have computers. They <laughs> right. didn't have, no like, interruption. He, he was, he was not interrupted by anything. He yeah, was not yeah. distracted by anything. He probably just put music on and sat there for eight hours, joyfully, blissfully, drawing and painting sure sure these days like i you you sit in the studio and you're you're interrupted by your phone or you're interrupted by whatever yeah yeah you'll sit back and then start there's so many little diversions and so many different different things we have to do with our time and our brain that it's really hard to find the time to focus yeah 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 i said there was a there's a great um youtube tv series i've got i don't know where the tv series came from i guess it was on BBC or something, and it's called "What Artists Do All Day." It was Tracy, as, as there's a Tracy Emin episode. I don't know if you saw it. I have never seen it. it sounds great though. It's like a half hour show, and and they were just interviewing her about it day to day, morning to night, and the majority is promotion because she has to stay in the business. She has to stay uh, relevant. So even though she might be showing with some of the greatest names in the world, along with her own, it's all it was the hard slog. So she she says she, if she gets an hour in the day when she can go into the into the studio she's happy and that seems bizarre doesn't it with with person like that it's kind of the the, the, your benchmark the goal you want to get there but you're still going to be at the laptop you're still going to be answering emails i well i have this old saying the busy begets busy Mm -hmm. kind of thing so like the busier you get the more you focus on the business of the arts the more business you're going to have to do yeah so so it's in some ways it's it's a double-edged sword. Like uh-huh. the more successful you are, the more successful you need to be. This is it, and I think I think accepting that you're going to have to put hard work into it is part of the uh, the, the process. It, it, I think you mentioned a, a while ago. Uh, you used the example of Bukowski, 
You know, the, the, this is lovely. You know, the idea that someone would find you in a pub and say, I love what you're scribbling onto that napkin. I'll give you some money. Um, Bukowski, I mean, he's a fascinating man. I mean, he, he worked a just menial job, basic uh-huh. income all the time. We worked in a post office for many yeah. years, just like just... And and so he loved it, though, because it did not use any of his creative brain. Right. So he could save all of his creativity for when he could get home to his typewriter or, or writing. I forget. I don't know exactly how he did it. But mm-hmm. but he so like sometimes having a lot of people say like, oh, you should do you're creative. You should get a job in the creative industry. And I'm like, well, but that's going to use all my creativity for somebody else. <laughs> yeah. And that and then I'm not going to have any creative whatever for the studio. I feel the same. I feel exactly the same. I um, I had a brief spell in a secondary school and three months. And I thought, this is not for me. But um, the art teacher there, this this lady that was teaching the art, I thought, that that's interesting. Maybe I'll move into that. And I, I talked to her and, and, and I said, what do you do, like, personally? And she said, I'm a, I sculpt. I said, well, what are you working on at the moment? She says, I don't, I don't do any of that. She says, when I go home, I look for holidays online. That's all I do now. Yeah, I mean, the it's it's very hard these days. I mean, with the I work in academia, so like it, when I was coming up, you going through school and stuff like this, I was looking to the tenured professors and the tenure sort of track things and how professors find a school and they stay at that school for thirty years, mm-hmm. even if they're not tenured. You know, they but they build a reputation for the school and they stay yeah. there for long periods of time. That's just not very common anymore. Sure. And so that entire sense of security that basically my 20s and my 30s that I was looking forward to getting in my 40s mm-hmm. has gone away. It's it's basically like I had a goal and the goal literally has vanished. It's not available anymore. Yeah. Well, I like the philosophy that we've got to invent the next step, invent how to get shown. Uh, well, exactly. And I think this is terrific. The podcast idea is amazing. And it I know you've been asking the questions about, you know, how to, I don't know, preempt your final question, but I, I, I have Fine. been listening and um, the idea of how to get shown in, in the bigger galleries or get shown. I, I actually got taken to task on that recently that like oh, that, really? that, that I should not be putting the idea of a major, a piece in an institution as my purpose for creating art. Interesting that I should be thinking, just focusing more on just purely making my own art and being happy rather than trying to seek out fame and glory and all this. Still an interesting question. Well, that's my point. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. The the reason for including that in the podcast is just to create something that's um, a quantifiable thing that basically the listeners can follow along the journey into into MoMA, right. That's the idea. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) the idea is, is that, I mean, the idea was is like, to try and engage the listeners basically a little bit yeah. more on a personal level. And, and soon what I'm going to do is I'm going to start adding on little, like maybe 20 minute separate podcasts throughout the week where basically I'll just sit with a microphone and tell you what I've done, like what, what recommendations were given to me and what I have actively right. done so that they will be able to keep it up involved in it and learn from my successes and my yeah. failures and my fears and my concerns, you know, things like, I sent an email to this curator and it's been three weeks and they haven't responded. You know, like, why is my work that bad? You know, the anxieties that that creates in me. Like, so, you know, I'll be very vulnerable and open with this because 
that vulnerability is the is the thing that I feel like a lot of people don't talk about in the art world. Right. We're all literally like hanging our hearts and our souls out for people and they can just crush them if they want to. Sure. And this is everybody, not just artists, but I mean, gallerists, curators. I mean, when a curator puts in two years of their life into putting together a show and then the show opens up and they get like these horrible reviews and nobody shows up for it, it is yeah. soul crushing. I, I made the decision not to continue as a, as a critic for, for uh, the Fringe Festival here. I did it for two or three years, and uh, but I would only choose plays that I knew were going to be good, like things that had previously been marked five stars so I could write something nice. Um, well, but that's part of the problem, is is that people are only writing nice things. Well, the, the, this is it. The, 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 a show came up that it was impossible to write something nice about. It was, it was dreadful. Took me by surprise, but if you don't don't want to write about it, like because I wasn't going to write anything horrible and have them read it the next day and then meet them in 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 the bar, you know, the next night. So, but if you're going to choose that, you have to contact them and tell them you're not going to give a review, which again is heartbreaking. I thought that's not my job, that's not for me to say. This is awful. So that, but I guess that it it's part of the uh, the neck the brass neck you need to build, isn't it? To, to to, re- to know that there's going to be people who will say, say outright, no, that's bad, or I don't like it. Uh, well, this is actually, to, I take that back. It's, it, there's nobody in the business generally tells you that it's bad. They'll just tell you this is not for us. That's right. And this is one of my pet peeves about the arts industry. Um, maybe this happens in other industries, but I've only, I only work in the arts industry and academia, so that's all I know. For instance, if you apply for a grant, the answer is yes or no. Mm-hmm. You apply for a residency. Right. Yes or no. You uh, submit work to a gallery. Yes or no. You, you go to a curator. Yes or no. The problem is the no's uh-huh. because they don't tell you what you did wrong. I would love for people to start giving some amount of critical feedback so that like when I submit a grant and I don't get the grant, what did I do wrong? Mm-hmm. Nobody ever tells you what you did wrong. Yeah. So how are we supposed to get better? How are we supposed to learn? How are we supposed to even know what our mistakes are in order to learn from them? There was a, an Italian friend of mine who was in London and he wanted to get into uh, St. Martin's. And they turned him down first time. He hadn't gone through the, the, the proper avenues and he'd just gone to them and shown his stuff. And they're like, why the hell are you bothering us? You know. And he used to go to the lectures, like, uninvited. You know, he wasn't part of the school, but he'd go to the lectures. And, That's great. Um, he just stuck to it. And his stuff wasn't their kind of stuff. So what he did was he observed and had a look what kind of stuff they did and adjusted accordingly. Um, and they they denied him entry the next time as well. And the third time he applied, they said, oh, go on then. <laughs> they let him in because he'd, he'd actually, they'd said, okay, your work has actually developed. You've gotten better. But I don't think they'd given him any pointers. He'd just looked at what they were accepting. And what well, they but, were see, I, but that that doesn't excite me because that, that means like tailor your work, literally tailor what you do. I guess he was 19 years market. old, so maybe he was quite flexible. Yeah, maybe that's a little, for me, that's a little too flexible. I mean, yeah. how old are you? Uh, 48. Okay, I'm 45. We're sort of in the same area. I'm not going to change. I'm not going to change what I do. I'm not going to change the style of work mm-hmm. that I make. I'm 45 years old. I'm working in the same sort of style for at least two decades at this point. Right. 
so it's basically either people like my work or they don't at this point. There's no, yeah, yeah. there's no, well, I can change to fit their market. Yeah, no, it's an awful idea, yeah. I mean, when you're young, maybe. But even still, sooner or later, there's going to be some snap. I mean, part of that is the, the nature of the artists need to find an authentic voice. Mm-hmm. No matter what your influences are. I mean, I have some great influences, people that I absolutely adore. Now, it has nothing to do with my work. Yeah. But I love their work. Right. So there's a difference between being inspired by or being appreciative of or have high respect for and what you do. So like I, you know, the people that I, that I love, like don't make anything like what I make, but you've got to be influenced by somebody, Yeah. but just don't make it so you look like you're copying them. Absolutely. Yeah. You need to find that personal, authentic, I, I call it actually the, there's a shit, there's a visual authorship. Uh-huh. And this is when you've got a distinct style. Yeah. Is that what well, you mean? Yeah. Well, like, like an author, like who writes a book or, yeah. or something like that, like they have an author's voice. You know yeah. their voice, no matter what book you read. And it's the most difficult them. thing in the world to really find, isn't it, in the first place? But it's the thing we all need. Absolutely. I, I, I was lucky enough yesterday to go and visit, uh, have you heard of Clara Sedlow, a local artist? Uh, she's absolutely fantastic. Um, and she's, she, she must be, I don't know, 25, 26 and she's got a really distinct voice. It's just you recognize her painting a mile off. Glossy, sort of uh, cute but evil <laughs> at the same time. Fantastic work. And she, she's so young. Like, I definitely did not have a voice at that point. I mean, I obviously did. I didn't know how to translate it to a canvas or a, a page. And yeah. I think it's, it's, it's only in the last five, ten years that things have started coming together where I thought, oh, there's, there's, there is something which combines everything I do because I jump from 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 lots of different things from from oil to acrylic to canvas to paper to writing to and then you start to see there is a thread and it was it's some of the artists and and uh, Haggai who I think you spoke you spoke to yes this week he made me he actually had me recognize something which I hadn't seen because it, it, it's when you're working in your studio and you've got everything cluttered until you actually have it in a large space and you see it together, you miss some of the things because you'll go through a period of, of, of doing a certain type of uh, work for, say, three, four, five months, even a year, and then you shift. You know, you move on to a different project and you think, maybe I'm saying something different, but you, you're really not. You know, sometimes you, they're directly connected. They could look completely different, but the, the subject matter is really there. You're still there, and it's difficult for yourself to see it until you get to show it to other people yeah i was talking to somebody a couple of years ago uh, about how to construct your website uh-huh oh actually i remember who it was it was mary virginia swanson she's uh-huh. this lady in the united states that does these uh she'll help sort of aspiring photographers in particular and she was trying to help on how to redesign my website and one of the things that she said was when you're putting your series of works that you've done over your lifetime there should be a common thread that so if somebody looked at your work from 2000 then looked at your work from 2005 that they Mm -hmm. can literally follow a line they can see the process and the progress of building on more or less the same idea yeah so there and and throughout your entire career and the, the more effectively you can create somehow through like a written statement or Mm -hmm. whatever however you do it the idea that there is a common thread through no matter what 
discipline you work in or medium you work in or you know scale or whatever that you, you can see that thread through your whole career yeah. the more curators and galleries like that idea because mm -hmm. that way they there's a, a foundational story of you as an artist that yeah. no matter what you end up doing in the future they'll still know that that's that common thread through your work and it, absolutely uh, totally I, I, and i've worked very instinctively for a long time without much deliberation to the images that I'm going to produce and so it always feels like I wasn't in control of that thread and I think oh, recently I've just noticed that that thread was there and it's 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 come to me in in strange ways like in really weird connections and I've seen that even when paintings are quite different it the subject matter was the same what's your thread well I suppose a, a way of explaining it right now is about three months ago, um, I, I, I've just completed writing this novel, and one of the characters, all the characters, the six characters based on characters mentioned by T.S. Eliot in his Wasteland, and one of the characters is uh, Madame Sosostris, the clairvoyant. Did you tell me about this already? I might have. This sounds oh, we very might have familiar. mentioned it at the, at the exhibition. Okay, it sounds very familiar. I'm like, I don't either know, I know somebody else who did one. Haggai like mentioned that. it. Yeah, he did, Haggai was talking about it. Okay. Yeah, because he was asking me how it was going, how the book was going. I'm on like the second draft, so I'm in the middle. But this uh, clairvoyant. So I, I, I just wanted to steal some words from online, uh, online uh, divinatory sources, you know. And so I YouTubed some people who read the tarot. And I was looking at the cards thinking, I want a pack. And I was just, it was two weeks before my birthday. Um, so I asked my flatmate for one and a friend got me one. Uh, so I had a couple of packs already and, and I'm obsessed with it already. I've got eight packs now. It's only been a few months. There's and what I noticed. beautiful ones out there these days. They're incredible. I just got the Visconti pack last uh, yesterday and it's beautiful. That was like the oldest known uh, complete tarot pack that, that, that they know about. So I've been learning the Thoth pack, the Crowley pack. But what it's what it brought to light was that you can have this image and it can look completely random at first and you can instinctively have an idea of what the card might mean. But then when you look into it, there is a structure, there is a reason for each image. Now, I've worked a lot with no reason for the imagery. I just, I really wanted it to be like automatic writing or streams of consciousness. And if anyone's inspired the paintings, it's 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 people like William Carlos Williams or James Joyce. And, and I always figured you don't need to be explaining everything. I'll just let it out. What I have discovered in the last year or so, if you just go in with one concept, one idea, a word, it's going to tighten that picture so much. And, and and it's really working for me. So this link between the way the tarot uh, work, is it, I, I've seen it as a thread through everything I've done. Um, that, now that's sort of coincidental because the thread was there already, but I started to realize that there were certain things, that themes that I did want to speak about or write, uh, paint about and write, and now they're more visible. And now I'm a lot more confident going into the canvas because there's deliberate things to say, deliberate things to talk about, and it's it's actually making it more fun. You are now living in Prague, 
and you have a studio here in the outskirts of Prague. And so the, the big question, of course, that everybody wants to know about artists is, you know, are you making a living from your art? Because, of course, this is all of our great desires to be able to do that. Uh, have you been able to do that here? No. Easy. Okay. <laughs> Moving on. Not yet. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, uh, what have you? Do you have a gallery that you exhibit with? No, I don't. No, but that's. I, I basically about two years ago gave myself a five-year plan, and I've been sort of heading in the direction of finding the finding a gallerist, finding someone to be uh, interested and in, and showing myself really, just putting myself out there. So this is sort of like, a, you could call it like a beginning process. I've been painting for a long time, but as for wanting to make my mark in Prague, uh, it's been about meeting people and, and, and working with a, a group. I, I told you about the Zvlasht Collective. Um, there's, there's, there's four of us, Andy Allen, uh, Erica, Danielle, and, um, and, and Joe Bleen. Mm-hmm. And we've we put on group shows. So we've, we've had pop-up shows. A couple of us have shown in, in uh, Gambit Gallery, the, the, the exhibitions come up quite sporadically, so I've not got to the point where I can make a living from it. And some of the exhibitions have been quite conceptual, so you can't really sell that stuff. I've found that when I've sold, it, again, it's sort of up and down, but when I sell, I've sold in a open studio, which I'd recommend to everyone to do because that's a super thing to do. And I've sold at, at the openings of exhibitions. And then it's been sporadic where people have just said I saw the stuff on on the website and we want to buy this which is a great question actually about using the use of social media mm-hmm. has it been successful for you in some ways my my big thing is of course social media is a great public relations thing as far as simply creating a brand and, and using it as a marketing tool but the question is, is does it actually have some quantifiable so like have you posted an image and you got a sale or you post an image and you got an exhibition. So is there quantifiable results that you could you know, put point A to B to C from using the amount of time and energy that you put into social media? Yes, there is. Yeah. Um, so definitely from posting images that have been on the website, sharing things that I'll do updates on processes in, in, on Instagram. Um, I'd say the, the last thing that was successful was uh, posting something on Instagram. The person went to the website and then contacted me and said they wanted it for their new apartment. So that was that was di- a direct link to something which sometimes feels like a slog, but actually I quite enjoy using in- Instagram more than anything else, really, because the response seems better on that than than certainly the website and and even Facebook. Oh yeah, these days Instagram is the primary one for visual arts for yeah. sure. Well, what's lovely as well is uh, people tend to search through Instagram and they see that certain galleries are following people or um, certain artists are following people. And once you've got those connections, uh, Instagram offers up, if you know this person, then you might like this person. Um, and I've, I've certainly found lots of interesting things through that. And people have been finding me. So occasionally you'll get a like from someone you really respect and, and you get a little a buzz from that, you know. And I think that that feel that feels valuable, and then you've actually gotten in, so you can write to them and say thanks for the thanks for the support, and 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 I've met a couple of people through Instagram that way um, that that have been sort of key people in 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 the business here in in Prague. And is that your goal to be exhibiting in uh, other countries? I'm not. I, 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 I'm going to start look. I'm going to start looking into exhibiting in other countries right now. 
um, I'm totally focused on Prague. So the inspirations here, I, I don't, I don't intend to move away from Prague anytime soon. So I really would like to sort of focus on this market and, and the people that I could work with here because uh, there seems to be lots of lovely people to work with. So I'd like to hang around, see what happens, and, and, and then start pushing things abroad. I mean, there's websites as well. There's certain things like uh, Saatchi uh, that, 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 that you can sell through. I have friends who do really well off it, you know. Really? Uh, yeah. I, I, I put some things on it a couple of years ago, and I just haven't added to it since two years ago. But my friend is, is selling regularly from there, and he, he does quite well. It's, okay, well, I'll, I want to know a little bit more about that. What medium and price point? Because I believe the whole buying via the internet without seeing it in a physical reality kind of thing, I believe there's a price point that people are willing to do that. Uh-huh. And I believe over that price point, unless their reputation precedes them kind of thing, sort of newer or emerging artists, there's only a certain price point we can sell online. Right. I see. Over that price point, people simply won't buy online until you get to a certain reputation level and then of course people will buy in any way they can possibly buy because your reputation is that good yeah so so what medium does this friend of yours work in um oils okay the oil paint oil on canvas and they're quite large paintings and then once it's sold he has to package the thing and they'll send it abroad um from anywhere in the world basically do you know his approximate price point for these um i i guess it's quite pricey that i i Suppose it's between thirty and a hundred thousand crowns. Thirty thousand to a hundred thousand oh, crowns. Crowns. Okay. Yes. Okay. Because I'm thinking like pounds or dollars or euros. I'm like, oh my god, that's a lot of money. Yeah, we're not there yet. No, crown. <laughs> I'm not there yet. Crowns. Okay. Yeah. So that's hundred thousand crowns would be five thousand dollars. Yeah, I guess thirty. That yeah. Something like that. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, that's still in the, the price pointy that I'm talking about. Because understanding Saatchi also takes a percentage of that as well. Sure, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm fascinated with this whole website, internet selling, because it seems like it's getting more popular in some ways. But it's it's also what you were saying before about the, the work that you have to put into it. There's sort of this times it's time consuming and it's also you just, I, I, it depresses me a bit going through that process. And it's just boring, you know. It's, it's literally a boring thing to do, and I'm huffing while I'm doing it, which is, is a shame. But I think if I could get to the point where the balance was where I did do what we were saying, do two months in the studio, and then take one week, two weeks, three weeks, where it was just promotion, concentrate on that, forget the studio. Oh, no, what I really want is I want to be in the studio all the time, and I want to have an assistant that, well, that does all that other thing, work yeah. for me. This is all you can think of isn't it when, you, when you're on the doing this work and you think someone should be doing this for me yeah. every time i'm editing this podcast i'm like i can get an intern to do <laughs> right. this for me why yeah. am i spending my time doing this but but it's even the same with you know submitting your works to sachi like yeah. it, it's just monotonous and simple i mean you're just putting in dimensions and keywords and all this stuff and it get, it gets old like i put some work on sachi and i actually had a problem with it because when i submitted my photographs on there uh, the color space was all wrong. Mm-hmm. And so on my monitor, it looked stunning. But when I put it onto their website, all the colors shifted to a completely different set of palette, like right. completely different. And it was my own fault because I didn't set my images to uh, RGB. They were CMYK mm-hmm. when I, because I was printing them physically on paper through yeah. inkjet printing, which is CMYK process. 
But when I submitted those CMYK images onto a website, which is RGB based, all the colors got tweaked. And it took me like three hours to figure out like, oh my God, why are my images like looking like shit on this website? Right. I finally figured it out. And it's these stupid little technical things that sure. we, we have to spend so much time, you know, I mean, between social media and trying to put our stuff on Sachi and trying to build our, put our own, build our own websites. Well, I'd, I'd like to put the larger paintings that I do onto Sachi. I think uh, they might be quite popular, but um, the idea of boxing it and sending it off puts me off. <laughs> just be such a drag. I, but then I, sh- I, I should get over. Are you on Sachi yourself? I put like two pieces on Saatchi yeah. and and then I I just got so annoyed with it. Uh-huh. It's just so tedious and 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 working with my, because my the images I was trying to submit to them are so color specific that I was having such problems making it so that they they look like if you saw the actual print it's rich and vibrant and right. saturated. If you looked on the website it looks like this flat muddy mess. Right. And I couldn't, I mean, I re-uploaded it numerous times and, and making changes still every time. Good. It still never looked good. And uh, I don't know what settings they have on their website that, that sort of made it all wacky. But I, I could never get it to look right. And so I just sort of gave up. Yeah. But And there's so many of these things. And this is another thing. There are so many websites in the world that say, come sell through us, yeah. you know? So then we as creative people were like, oh great, another opportunity to make money. That's fabulous. Mm-hmm. And we have to spend hours even just researching these websites to say, are they legitimate? Do they actually pay? What are their percentages, et cetera, et cetera. Sure. And then deciding which ones we want to be on. And then once we do decide, we have to continually update them. We have to maintain them. We have to continually put new works on them because they have algorithms in them just like social media has and Uh so like if you're not active on the site they're not going to show your work first right and so it's it's this just constant sort of slog of like top of it you need an assistant we we all need someone like an intern or an assistant but yet you know we can't get those very easily but but it's it's this it's this other side of our brain, you know. I mean, we got into the creative industry because we didn't want to get into the business industry, and yet now we have to spend all of our time and energy doing the business. Yeah. When in the past it was we could hand that off to a gallerist, and a gallerist would do that work for mm-hmm. us if we were good enough to be represented by a gallery. But now, oftentimes, the galleries aren't doing that very much. Like they don't do. The, the promotion work yeah they're not gonna then submit your work to Saatchi basically because like then that's a that's less percentage they get I mean which makes sense but I just feel like these days with the sheer volume of outlets and ways to sell your work mm-hmm. that our time and our energy is so diversified that we can't do any of them well yeah yeah I suppose I suppose the key that one of the key things is to show the work first so it's it's to well the first thing is make good stuff and the second is to show it and i guess if you're putting it on instagram putting on facebook like clara on facebook uh just yesterday she she posted it on facebook two days ago yesterday she got a call from uh, the manager of czech television who said i like the picture on facebook can i have it like seven minute discussion on the phone (laughs) um and so that that was just from a, a, a post, 
on Facebook. That's that's not such serious promotion, not too much legwork, you know. Well, but okay, sure. That one did. But how about the 30 previous posts that she put up that didn't get that? So this I mean, is we the have consistency, to, isn't it? That's just the thing. keep doing it. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we have we as creative people who really just want to be making our creative outlets end up having to spend a ton of time doing all this other stuff, this business of which was probably always there and just never spoken of. Yeah. And it feels like now a lot more of that burden has been placed on the shoulder of the artist than in the past. Yeah, I think this is this is where it's good to uh, either join or, or join a collective, create a collective, or work with other people. And then there's, I think there's the weight is taken off a little because one, you're sharing the load, uh, and uh, and two, you got inspiration from from the, your, your colleagues. This seemed that 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 was an important part, I think, of of my development a few years ago, was not just thinking you can do it alone, and then actually not not literally asking for help, but well, yeah, asking for help, you know, and and having other people going back to our begging thing from earlier. Yeah, I mean it. it it's it's not really begging though, is it? If once you've sort of uh, made a connection with people, and you kind of uh, you you also take on you know a lot of the responsibility. So you're sharing ideas and sharing the load, and you're sharing the who, who's sending things to places to, to the uh, proposals and writing the proposals. At least you're not doing it alone. I think it's tough to do it alone. So that would be some advice for me: is work with other people. Join. Uh, Collaboration seems to be the key at the moment, which uh, do, do, have you worked with people? You're going to collaborate with me making boxes. <laughs> you're going to make boxes. That's, well, that's not collaborating. It's not on creatively art. collaborative. That's not, no. yeah, that's not, I mean, I've done my fair share of collaborations in the past, and they're very hit and miss. Uh, you know, when it goes sure, yeah. when it goes really really well, it's fabulous. Like yeah. I've had some friends, uh, Tim and Sean, in the United States. Like w- when we collaborated, it, it's been really great because we're sort of of the same idea, same mindset stuff. Mm-hmm. But I've collaborated with some other people that have been utterly failure, miserable. Like like turned me off to doing collaborations for decades before then I ever gotta, tried I think again. You got to try, sort of like test the waters and see if it works. And it's the same as anything. There's some paintings you're going to do that aren't working. There's some people you meet who are, it's not going to work. And then if you do, if you're lucky enough to find that connection and someone that's, uh, you know, you click with, then I don't know, that's that's golden. That's lovely. Okay. Well, th- this idea of like community and having other people, this sort of reminds me of earlier, you started talking about your work. And then one thing that I thought about that I didn't get to ask you about is artist statements. Uh-huh. Yeah. Do you write them? Yes. Uh, yeah. I've written dozens, hundreds probably. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's it's uh, there's an art to it, and I don't know if I'm good at it, but and part of my point going back to the the conversation about like constantly getting rejections and getting no's, mm. and and you don't get feedback. So like, I would love it if yeah. someplace that I submitted some work to with an artist statement in it, and they would say, oh well, your artist, they would give me some feedback, say, well, your artist statement wasn't cohesive with the images, or didn't feel like it was whatever, like you know, just yeah. give me some some feedback so that I can do better, because. All of us were visual artists. We know how to make visual arts. Mm-hmm. There's no question about that. So, like your skill level in making a good painting, no question. Yeah. Your skill level in writing about your painting, we weren't taught that. There's a fine line as well, isn't there, between not talking bullshit and and then just sounding 
uneducated, you know. So there needs to be a fine line between the two. It's like that old expression, don't talk like you write and don't write like you talk. You know, it's... I write just like I talk. Right, yeah. I do, and it's horrible. I use commas far too much, according to my father. Really? Yeah, I, I use commas everywhere where I should use periods. It's my it's my least favorite thing to do is is write in a couple of sentences what you've just done because I could I could write well reams of pages about what I've done you know you could talk for days about what you've done and then to put into a paragraph and I've seen people describe their stuff in a sentence and I'm like just that one sentence that's all I want just something like that really simple you know people have described their work as you know it's like uh, punk comic fiction. Oh, I would not and, want and to be, like, okay. I would never write a thing that, that that's that sort of narrow. I mean, you need more. It, it, the idea, the whole idea of having an elevator pitch. Uh-huh. You, you, you know, need the elevator like, pitch, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, like, you know, a 30-second little thing of, like, explain I, your work in 30 seconds. I would say that's one of the most important things because there's so many opportunities I think I've fluffed just because someone said what you do and you, and you know this is a good opportunity and you're like, oh, I don't know, I do a bit of this, a bit of that, I do a bit of everything. And every I've heard so many people say that. Just one line, just a, a pitch, a simple thing. And I think that's something, as well as working on becoming a, a better artist, that you really need to work on your pitch. And it doesn't have to be a lot. And it's I think you find that pitch through the story and it has to be... That, that that seems to be one of the most important words in the business at the moment is is uh, have a story, and if you can hook someone with that story in a sentence, just it's it's about this or it's influenced by this or yeah, see, I, yeah, see the I'm finding because again, like I do online reviews, so I'm reading portfolio right. artist statements literally hundreds a week, yeah, and they're bad. Like mm-hmm. Many of them are quite horrible. Um, but yeah, I mean, I want to, what I'm generally looking for and what I try to do in my own writing, which again, I fail probably miserably at it as well, but I, I try to emotionally involve the viewer. You, you want to hook them in. You want to get them engaged in the work in some way. Yeah. So like, but when I was in school, like when I was in school, my professors, I remember telling me, start your artist statement with a quote. Latin quotes are often the best. Ooh. <laughs> like, That's right. Like if I did an artist statement starting with a Latin quote, <laughs> now I, people would just be like, fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> you pompous bitch. Absolutely. You've <laughs> lost them immediately. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing is like, I read a lot of the statements are either underdeveloped, mm-hmm. like they're, they don't actually know what they're doing yet. Yeah. So like they haven't personally realized what they're expressing or way overly intellectually academically pompous yeah where they're like quoting like oh i did this because of kantian and freudian and what and plato's cave and i like the recommendation not to mention anybody else and assume that the person doesn't know the people you're talking about well that's the problem is like i will read a lot of artist statements and people will be quoting like oh this is from so-and-so philosopher and i'm like who the fuck is that yeah I don't know who this person is. And I keep telling people when in these reviews, I'm like, don't tell me about things I don't know because you, all you're doing is making your sound, yourself sound intelligent and you're making me feel stupid. Right. And that's never good because now I feel stupid. Now I don't like your work uh-huh. because your work now makes me feel stupid. It's amazing how, how some of the really simple things can work as well. You just, you know, that. what was the, uh, who's the singer-songwriter who's slightly crazy... Um, that that Kurt Cobain liked. 
Oh, Daniel Johnston. Daniel Johnston. Yeah, I love him. Um, and his sincerity, his, his honesty when he was first on MTV, remember that clip? And he's like, I work in McDonald's and I've done this tape. And it was just like, there was no pretension. And I was hooked and interested. Who's Who the hell would tell someone I want to be a pop star and I work at McDonald's? Oh, he's a great, he's a, there's a movie about him. Uh, the, oh, I saw it. The Devil and Daniel Johnson. Johnson. It's Super, great. Yeah. Yeah. He's, I like I mean, his work. I love him because of his pure innocence and purity he he must make music yeah that's it like he he has no reason he has no rhyme he's not in it for money he's not in it for anything he just feels the need to produce it yeah that's it i love that it's a great purity and innocence to it that that most of us like i'm personally getting more jaded the longer i'm in the industry like Mm -hmm. you get more jaded and pissy and cranky Uh and that's sad like i don't want that We'll try and get that out of you. I'm trying. We'll try and help. <laughs> I just moved from the Middle East. So. Would you like another cup of tea? No. That's <laughs> gonna help. Yeah, artist statements are tough, though. Like, I mean, but because yeah. they're they're yeah. they're a necessary evil these days. I mean, here I'll give you a perfect sort of lead back through. Mm-hmm. An artist statement could be interpreted now as hashtags on Instagram. Right. So being in the same way that writing an eloquent, cohesive statement is important to accompany a work in a, for a gallery or an exhibition, curating and creating and writing the appropriate hashtags on Instagram is equally as important. You, who are you speaking to? I, I listened to oh, your last podcast with the, the guy from the gallery on Namaste Republiki. Uh, Alesh Knup. Knup, yeah, the Knup Gallery, yeah, yep. that was terrific. And he he was, it was interesting. That he, he he was saying that yes, sometimes people will come with a portfolio and say a statement or something or email, but this really isn't the sort of the way. And he was saying he'll he'll scroll he'll he'll be scrolling through Instagram and something will pop up, a, a friend of a friend or someone who knows somebody. And so yeah, you, you might have a point there that the hashtags. That's all you've got to really grab someone's attention aside from the image. Well, I find that like if you actually write an artist statement under your image on Instagram, yeah. nobody fucking cares. Sure, that's too and, much to read. Well, A, it's too much to read. And B, it's unsearchable. Like So, so right. people can't find you. They're only going to see it for that one picture that you, yeah, unless well, you do so it for even, every picture. Well, I mean, so unless you sit there and go through your artist statement and put a little hashtag in front of important words in your artist statement. Yeah. It's the, it, the, the statement itself is useless because, of course, the algorithm, you can't be searched by just words. You have to put a little hashtag in front of it uh-huh. in order for, for it to be searchable. So you have to create those hashtags, which become the thing that is the reason why people find your work and therefore get involved, emotionally involved, or emotionally connected to your work. Right. Which is basically the idea of an artist statement. Uh-huh. Yeah, and who's, there, who's asking for artist statements these days? I think there's still... Proposals when you when you're doing a, a an official proposal for um, a space to try and get the space, they're still asking for well, speaking, individual statements. Speaking of that, we haven't actually talked about. So, do you apply for grants? Do you do residencies? Like, what kind of uh, other creative outlet type of things do you work on? Um, I'm I'm looking for residencies at the moment. I've never done one, and it seems to have been very beneficial to friends of mine. So, that is a next step for me. Well, and you now have the ability to leave easily and come back. You're, you're living on your own. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Free. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah, the fool can jump off into 
into the void now and, and test the waters. Yeah. And grants? Do you apply for grants? I don't, but I, I'm constantly being told that there's a lot of money in the EU for, for, for work. So I think the reason I haven't is because I don't think I've had a, a convincing project that I could say was this is the reason to give me some money. But uh, I, I think that's changing quickly. It's tough. Like I mean, I keep looking at residencies because I would love to go do a residency, and I'm pretty sure my wife would be happy for me to not be around the house mm-hmm. for a while. So I'm, I'm looking at them, and I and they keep wanting very specific things. Like, yeah. Like I've looked at some, and they, oh, we're all about ecological uses in the arts, right. and I'm like, yeah, I don't do that. Some quite specific. Yeah. Or like, or like, oh, we want you to come and like be, be part of the community and make some art relevant to the community. I'm like, no, no. What I want is a residency where basically I go somewhere, I have time, I have space, you leave and, me I, alone. and you leave me alone <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so that I can just make my work. Yeah. There, there's this, I have this feeling that a lot of the people that have money or have things that are opportunities, they sort of put their own agendas mm-hmm. on whatever they are willing to fund or, Maybe, or yeah. help. And, and so... I want those pure again, like back to your uncle. Like I want that pure, basically, space to be have time to think, to time to be away, uh, time to have resources, and and simply produce the work. I mean, I've, I'm sitting. I've got eighty prints at home mm-hmm. that are two and a half meters tall by yeah. one meter wide that I've been waiting to work on for almost two years now, and my studio is not big enough. Uh-huh. So I need, I simply just need a big studio. I just need somebody to give me a big studio. Sure. That's Have you it. been looking around town for? Oh, there's nothing in town. Who are you kidding? No. No. It's expensive, isn't it? The prices of studios here are ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, I looked at Pragovka and like, that's the same price I pay for rent for my apartment. Uh-huh. I'm not paying that. No, not unless you're going to live there. My wife wouldn't let me. She wouldn't be happy. No. No. But no, I've been very lucky. I have a landlord that is very supportive of the arts. Actually, he's a bit of an art collector himself. Uh-huh. And uh, he's been very supportive and helpful. He actually let me rent the garage uh, that's attached to our apartment. Right. So I have this nice little two-car garage for a very, very reasonable price. Yeah, this place is cheap. Do you have any projects going on or what, what's going on for your sort of planned future stuff? So, that, you know, what are the things that you're trying to do to be proactive in your career? Well, no, there's, I suppose there's three um, levels. There's the personal level where I'm doing a doing a series of my own oil paintings, which is sort of a continuing thing. But I'm doing a project which was, it's called the 333 Project. I did 333 paintings in 333 days and posted those every day. Um, 20 by 20 just okay like sometimes yeah i'm paper. thinking much bigger i'm like not fuck. like these guys no and then i did 33 um videos in 33 weeks so again it was that was a nice experiment and i think that's a lovely thing to do is step outside your comfort zone and do something you're not you don't know how to do you know it, it was fun i was doing stop motion it was great fun uh yeah, much as much as it would I'm be for you doing the my, podcast. Yeah, I'm stepping out of my comfort zone in doing this podcast. But it's really adding to your arsenal of, of you know weapons and how you can work. Basically. I have learned a lot uh, so far. I yeah. mean, I've done. I think I'm, I don't even know where we are. Almost twenty uh, conversations now, and yeah. and I have actually learned a lot. Uh-huh. Things that I was unaware of or didn't realize how important they are. And and I think the big thing is is 
the shifts that have changed that have happened in mm-hmm. the industry. So like I was very active in the beginning of my career. And then at a certain point I, I sort of dropped out a little bit. I moved to an area that was very rural and then I moved to the middle East and for various reasons, I couldn't be very participatory there. Uh, and, and so like for more than 10 years, I have not been able to participate in the, the arts industry very as much as I would have liked. And it's changed dramatically. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it's these little nuances of these subtle changes that I'm learning a lot about. Yeah, yeah. That I had no idea. Well, it's, this is it. It's lovely learning new techniques, new skills. You know, we, I, I certainly learned a lot working with, uh, I, I mean, it was... There was claymation. I was doing animation, but they were all very quickly botched together. Uh, but two of them have now been in the film festival, the Some Like It Short Film Festival, the last two years. Oh, so I'm inspired to do a little bit better next time. It's like so. I was accepted. I was very pleased with that. That's a, f- a great uh, festival. So it gets shown in Bio Oco. So yeah, that that felt good. And the next pro- part of the project is uh, so I've got staying in line with the threes is three books in three years and so i finished just finished a short novel which i'm working on now and so next year i really want to make my own tarot pack Mm. so i might do this in collaboration with uh, another friend of mine who's who's working in collaboration with me as uh, we we work as the alt art society uh we started this about a year ago uh chantelle goldthwaite in california um she's been over here with uh, the becoming artist group who she works with as well. Um, that's the Jessica Sarans group. Uh, and we, we started this thing together. So we've we've got a, a, web, a Facebook page where we've been collaborating with people from all over the world to do videos. And, and, and we've got seven people together. We've got a proposal for an exhibition called Threshold Prague, which we're going to start pushing to the galleries and try and find a place to show it. And again, this is the this is just the inspiration from a collaboration from someone. This is even from the other side of the pond, you know. And we just give each other, I think, a lot of great motivation. I just love your turn of phrase, "other side of the pond." <laughs> yeah, it's very endearing. Okay, actually, and I have a question because you just talked about how you're working in different media's and different st- techniques and different practices. When I was young, uh, you know, way back when in the day. My professors and the the industry as a whole at the time was very much focused on choose one thing and become masterful of it. Mm. Uh, it seems to me, looking around your studio and hearing you talk, that you uh, work in lots of different media sort of based on your own inspirations and your own ideas. Do you find that that's beneficial or detrimental or somewhere in the middle? It's, 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 it's a bit of both, uh, which isn't really an answer, but... I'd say it's beneficial for me because philosophically speaking, psychologically speaking, I can I can express myself any way I want. I don't feel any pressure to do anything specific. But it, I mean, I've seen people stick to one thing and, and they've done it since they left college and it's been successful for them. So you've seen them, you know, get higher and they've developed as well. You know, they've, they've changed styles in, in certain ways, but they did stick to a certain thing which which I never really knew what it was going to be I even wanted to just do mu- music when I when I was in like high school to college I 
wanted to be Bob Dylan, you know. Oh, so, yeah, I tried to be in a band. I was horrible. Right. I, I, ironically, I was a drummer, and I, <laughs> I, I can't keep rhythm to save my life, so I don't know why. <laughs> it was just because it was that loud. That would be detrimental. Well, to it, it was just getting angrier, anger out, and, and it was loud, so like I just enjoyed that. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I couldn't keep rhythm at all, and it was really horrible. So. Well, I do pride myself on not having one particular thing that I need to stick with and that I'm, I'm free enough. Because, I mean, there's some conceptual stuff in here. You can see there's, there's stuff that was done, like hammering things to a, a, a bed there. There's the, the, the book dangling from the wall. There's these uh, cardboard You do know this is a podcast. People can't see these things. No, I, I'll, <laughs> I'm not going to try and describe them. And paintings and things. No, I th- I, I, ultimately, I obviously think it's beneficial because I keep, keep on doing it. So. I know plenty of artists that work in multiple media. As a matter of fact, I had a conversation with a guy recently who he's known as a sculptor. His sculptures uh, exhibiting in docks and, and exhibiting internationally, um, but he but he paints fifty mm-hmm. percent of his time. Right. But nobody knows about his paintings. He doesn't exhibit his paintings. He doesn't do anything with them. So, I mean, there's the there's the nature of investigating processes versus what are you known for. Sort of what you put out, what you create your reputation based on. I'm still a fan of singular medium, singular discipline. I don't whatever you want to call it. Like even though I cross mediums and disciplines now in my own thing, but but I still stay within a similar medium. So like I work two dimensionally. I don't work three dimensionally. Whereas it seems like you vary between two dimensional, three dimensional, and also writing versus visual arts. And and it, it is it's. A- well, it, it is an interesting question because I think psychologically speaking, I think there's a point I want to make and a point I want to reach and I don't know how to say it. And it's this impossible thing that you're trying to say and I don't know how to say it, but I think it's there. It's the kind of thing, I, I don't know, like if, if there's an answer to life, the universe and everything, it's something that should be able to be written on a T-shirt, you know, you, it's or 42. whispered into a dying man's ear. as it's 42. Ian, said. Everybody knows that. It's 42. See, I could just paint 42 on a wall and walk away. This is, But maybe this is the fear. And I, I have considered this. The fear is that you would come up with the answer and then there's nothing to do. Then you Really? You, you actually are afraid that you're going to come up with the answer to the meaning of life? I think subconsciously I might come up to the answer to why I do anything or why I'm here, or which I think I, I already get that. I think, you know... I, intellectually i think i know you know why i'm here and what's happening but uh, if i was to totally get it through some painting or th- through some poetry or writing and nail it it could ruin the fun of being confused and actually searching it's a, there's a great quote quote from uh, emil chiran this romanian philosopher he said if there's uh, there's nothing to say and that's why there'll never be an end of things we can write about. Mm. There's, I think there's a point in my art where I, I do like the confusion, I do like the not knowing, and that's where the poetry is in the, in the conflict. There's no conflict, no poetry. Don't get me wrong, I've worked in lots of different disciplines and mediums in my life. I, I write, I've, I've even got work, artwork with it, which, where I incorporate my writing into it. But I find that, I find, again, like this is me projecting onto you. So like, I find that I, I might diverge into these other things, but in the end, I sort of have to somehow figure a way to bring it back into my core mm-hmm. thing. Because, I mean, in the end, going back to the point of like galleries and curators and all these people, they want to have a story behind your work. So like, mm-hmm. there needs to be a, a, a core fundamental story and, and it's easier to, to express that story 
not as you, but as the, the art world. So mm-hmm. like for them to be able to express the story when you're working in a single discipline, because it feels like it's a cohesive story just because of the discipline or the right. medium. But when I feel like when, even when I do it, like I often have two sets of works that I'm working on. I have a very, very personal, intimate and vulnerable work. That's, mm-hmm. that's you know, very difficult for me to express and somewhat painful even sometimes to even share. And then I have like this other set of work that's purely technical and it's, it's, it's working on process and medium and, and techniques and things like this. And they don't match. Yeah. Like, they're yeah. very di- didactic in, in many ways. And that's probably even hurt my own career. So uh-huh. even though there's the same medium, they're very different aesthetics to them. I found that I, I deliberately hurt the career in, 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 in certain aspects as well. Yesterday... Well, don't we all do something that deliberately hurts our career? I, I guess we, so. We're self... We're self what is it? Self, self-sabotage. Self-sabotage. That's the word. Yeah, there's a, there's a big element of self-sabotage. And, for example, the, the, the painting that's on the easel now, which came quite quickly and was just for fun, sort of between paintings, is on a certain subject that people could connect to, whereas the rest of it's quite personal. This is about, you know, this tarot symbolism there. And it's the type of thing that a friend of mine said that would sell. You do more of that. You, you know, these sort of things would make you money. And the, the gut reaction was, I'm never going to do that again then. When people say, you know, this particular thing has been selling well. And I've had some things, small paintings I did that were selling quite well. And, and so they're like, why don't you do more of those? And as soon as someone says that, I want to do a 20-foot high picture uh, and, and make it an abstract. I'm like, no. Nah don't want to do that anymore i don't know that seems like there's something that that's obviously not the answer that i'm looking for psychologically because the answer didn't come and it's it's sold that's one thing that's a that's good but there's still something else that's obviously not the answer so i i don't maybe if yeah it's, it's, I, I don't quite know what that says oh, we all about do it. me or the art oh, we all do it. we all self-sabotage i mean you know, if I really wanted to make great art, I could be working in the studio instead mm-hmm. of making this podcast. Right. I could put more effort into public relations and 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 publicizing my art, and, and instead of making this podcast. Mm-hmm. But to a certain extent, I'm like self sabotaging my own art career by focusing on making a podcast instead. I would see this as being beneficial to it. Though. I'm sure. I'm hoping it will be beneficial, but it's taking time away from sure producing art in the studio it's taking time away from public relations for this my work mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff so yeah i mean it has it's it's related but it's it, in a way it's kind of self-sabotaging because i'm taking myself out of the studio practice in order to create this but then meeting interesting people i'm having <laughs> very fun. interesting people yeah i mean i'm having um, fun and i'm learning a lot so don't get me wrong i'm yeah. I, I, you know this is a, a first world problem for sure uh-huh. you know the, i'm a champagne complainer here but still I think it's great, the stuff. I've listened to three or four other podcasts now, and, and I'm learning stuff. Wow. This is great to listen to the guys talking. I don't know if I've given anything beneficial to anybody, but certainly I've taken things from, from the other the other guys that have been interviewed. And girls. And Louis, yeah, the, the, I, I consider guys both. I don't okay. know. I, I call my friends guys as well. Um, but yeah, Louise and uh, was it uh, Eric, Erica? What's her name? Elena. Elena. Elena, sorry, yeah. Um, they, they they were great. Milan, Milan, and Piotr, and and you're you're actually the first 
fan of the podcast that I've had <laughs> on the podcast. Right. Because, well, because when I started it off, I had to basically say, hey, I'm starting this thing. Yeah. And it was unknown, untested, hadn't been published. So like I, a lot of people had to participate on this on faith and, and yeah. hope that I was making something nice. I've been sharing it and telling the guys about it. Cause... Well, see, now, yeah, now people have actually heard it. And, yeah. and I've actually gotten a few people that have listened to it have said, hey, would you be interested in talking to me or mm-hmm. my boss or, or other things like this? Or And of course, later after this, how this is done, I'll be asking you for some recommendations of some other people to talk to as well. Sure. Because the part of the idea is to build a community and then that community is a series of branches. So mm-hmm. like everybody needs to connect. Uh, it, it just works a lot easier that way. Yeah, yeah. I think it's super. And, and yeah, it's an education tool, I think. And, and one of the nicest things I think that's coming from it is the, is the human aspect that everyone is sort of in the same kind of uncomfortable position when it comes to art. You know, there's no stable guy that you will speak to who says, yeah, I've got it all sorted, you know? Well, not only that, but the, the everybody just has their own unique perspective on it. Yeah. Some people come to it with a sense of arrogance, like I did years ago. Some mm-hmm. people come, you know, some people, some people come to it from a, a business standpoint, like from a business background. Right. Yeah. Whereas some people, like like me and you, who seem to come from a pure artistic background, and we don't know how to do the business very well. Yeah. You know, so everybody has their own little voice and their own little perspective on how it all works. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm learning a lot. Yeah. Yeah. It's fun. That's fantastic. I hope. <laughs> well no. this has been fun if you could give some advice through your own successes and failures that you've had the so to try and help somebody else who might be at a, a similar place to either where you are or where you have been to make it so that their journey through the process is easier what would you give i think off the top of my head there would be i really recommend collaborating ask for help go out and meet people don't work with people who you don't like and make sure you've got a studio that's ideally separate from your house. That changed my game uh, in a big way. Uh, get yourself your own space. They'd be the top tips. Just to clarify on the collaborating thing. Collaborating does not necessarily uh, mean art. Two artists collaborating on an art piece. Right, no. This is a European thing. Because in America, I see, yeah. the term collaboration means two artists working on a, a piece or a work of art together yeah I, where, I would consider it more two or three artists working on a show together um so actually working on something like that yeah or some sort of a barter thing like me building boxes for you that's a in europe that's referred to as a collaboration sure yeah but but it, that's in america and other places that's not the collaboration is not the word that we use for that yeah it's a, a trade or just working with you know but sure yeah the common goal there you go the people you like <laughs> nice people yeah but it's not easy to keep people you like around unfortunately a lot of the business of the arts is having to work with people you didn't it's not that you don't like them but maybe you just don't like them this is it yeah that actually sounds a bit nasty to say so like and don't like but people that you work well with people that you connect with you know you have uh, similar similar uh, attitudes to things similar sort of approach Interesting. Okay, yes, that brings up another question that I've been asking a lot recently. If you had the ability to be successful, so define that word however you'd like, mm-hmm. explain to me what would be your definition of being successful. It's good. I often picture in my head my uncle 
painting the pictures in his on his board in his room. It was just a lovely cottage, a nice garden. <laughs> um, it just it was sort of a picture of paradise, and that was the easy the easy day. He was doing what he loved. So there's nothing too grand. It's I don't know about that. I've got any ambition to get into MoMA, but I would like enough money to be able to paint all day. And all right, it's just a question. That would be success. Still eating when I'm ninety. Fair enough. Paying the light bills. I w- I want to find an electric company that will let me barter for artwork. Actually, that would <laughs> right. be amazing. Yeah, oh, that'd be fabulous. <laughs> Final question, which you already know because you have listened to the podcast, is uh, trying to find some step by step or or individual steps in the process of trying to get a single piece of my artwork exhibited in the Museum of Modern Art in New York City. Well, yeah, it's cause since I've listened to the show, I've, li- I've thought about this a bit. I think there's been a couple of really good pieces of advice. One of them was uh, go local. I, I think that's terrific advice. It's, uh, yeah, uh, uh, same, the same would uh, relate to psychologically speaking, you know, don't try and change the world, change yourself first, you know, put your, put your own breathing mask on before everybody else. So in that, in that sense, I would say st- start local. I've thought about it a few times. It's like, I think you're doing the right thing doing this. I think this is a, this is a good first step. It may not be your first step. It could be your 15th step, but this is a good step. Again, it's meeting the local people. It's uh, making them aware of your own art, showing yourself. And so it's, it's, it's about inviting people to your party, I think, letting people know about you. If you could, if you could put up a pop-up exhibition and have MoMA want to show something at your place, that would probably be more interesting than the other way around. All right, fair enough. So thank you very much for your time. You're very welcome.